Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Happy to be bringing you another episode after having to miss last week due to technical difficulties. I got several messages. Uh, By the way, shout out to Mark and Derek. That's Mark Aliotto and Derek Tenbush for uh, filling in for me last week. In fact, I was having technical difficulties. I could not get my recorder on my computer to work. I was missing an adapter that connects this thing. I'm not good at this stuff. So basically, I'm a technical idiot, and I lost an important piece of equipment, which made it impossible for me to record last week. Uh, I know that I listened to the episode last week, and I heard Derek kind of make a joke, like, I don't know where Clayton is. I guess he's out Christmas shopping, uh, which led many of you to check on me. And I appreciate the uh, emails and the tweets at Clayton Comic when you guys were like making sure I was okay. Uh, I was not a wall. I was just having a problem, and Derek was uh, just making a joke and trying to uh, cover for the fact that I am a technical idiot. I thought they did a great job on the episode. I loved listening to it. It kind of reminded me of the old days when I used to listen to Derek and Mark, and usually Casey, Casey Jarzebeck, who has not been on this podcast in quite some time. We'd love to get him back on as soon as we can. We're working on that. Uh, He's just a busy guy. I know a lot of you guys miss hearing uh, Casey's unique take on poker strategies and hands. We'd love to get Casey back on. Uh, And listening to that episode, it was just kind of nostalgic for me to sit back and listen to those familiar voices talking about poker. And I hope that you guys enjoyed that one as well. I am back. And if you are in New York City tonight, December 20th, You can see me along with Joe Stapleton and a host of other amazing, talented comedians at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. If you're interested in attending the performance, you still have time to get tickets. TheClaytonFletcherShow.com. That's the website. www.TheClaytonFletcherShow.com. And come see us tonight in New York City, December 20th, Friday, 8 p.m. All right. So today I want to kind of piggyback on something that Derek and Mark did last week here on the podcast, kind of recapping 2019 and thinking in terms of goals, expectations, wishes, hopes, and dreams for 2020. And then I want to, uh, of course, do a strategy segment where I will talk about a poker hand. But first off, I want to talk really quickly about 2019 and what it meant for me. Now, I have been playing poker professionally, or I suppose you could say semi-professionally because I obviously have other sources of income. How do you define a professional poker player? Is it someone who makes 100% of his income from the game? Is it someone who makes a substantial amount of his income from the game? And is that, if so, what is considered substantial? 
Uh, is it someone who relies on poker for his livelihood? I don't know whether to call myself a professional poker player or not. I know that when I do my taxes, I definitely do. <laughs> because that allows me to write off my losses and travel expenses, trips, hotels, meals away from home. All of that stuff is deductible if you're doing this as a business rather than as a hobby. But zeroing in on it, I really don't think it matters. Labels. You know, when people used to ask me, before I was a more established comic, people would often ask me, do you consider yourself a professional comedian and or, or an amateur comedian? And to me, the word amateur is one of my favorite words in the English language. You know, it comes from the Latin amo, I love, so and all of those other words that are associated with that, like that's amore, amorous. They all have the same Latin root, which is love. So an amateur is actually someone who does something for the love. And for me, if that's the criterion, then I, I'm an amateur poker player and an amateur comedian. I think there are other ways I could make money. I worked as an actor for a long time. I was a musician. I've been a teacher. I, I think that I could not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily die if I didn't have these two interesting careers. I think whatever you do, you should be an amateur, one who does it for the love. That said, I've never had a losing year in poker. 2018, as many of you would probably guess, was the best year I've ever had. I had something like nine tournament caches, including, of course, 27th place in the main event. So I've never made that much money playing poker in one year before as I did uh, last year. And this year was a big step back from there for me. It was, it was a, quite a struggle. I actually lost in tournaments in 2019. I didn't play as many as I normally do. I like to think that those two facts are related. <laughs> you know, that if I put in more volume, because I'm hopefully still a plus EV overall, uh, I would have been able to make it a winning year. But I just, you know, because of comedy commitments and other things going on, I didn't get to put in the volume. I normally try to play at least 40 to 50 tournaments a year. Major events, I mean, not, you know, dailies at my local casino or whatever. Uh, and last year I only got to play 30. So that's kind of a, a steep drop off. And I didn't do particularly well. I only cashed in four. So... Not great, and it ended up being a net negative for tournaments specifically. I was bailed out by single table sit and goes and success in cash games. So I managed to eke out a profit this year, but thankfully I was not relying solely on poker to pay all of my bills because uh, it was a down year for sure. One of the worst years I've ever had, and it was right after the best year I ever had. So it's just kind of the nature of poker, right? The variance, as we all know, is high. I've noticed that tournament players generally talk about variance in terms of how it costs them money. <laughs> but I think we should all acknowledge that sometimes variance goes in our favor as well. 
It just means luck and the variability of outcomes. And this year, as I look back at my results, um, I had three major coin flips in this year's World Series of Poker, you know, various events, where if I would have won those flips, I would have been in a great position to have a good score, uh, certainly make it into the money, possibly with a large stack. Uh, and those are spots that are going to happen. I had a total of six coin flips all summer, and I won three of them, which is pretty good, but the three I lost were in really key spots. Now, when I talk about these coin flips, I don't mean that some short stack shoves on me and you know it's just for like less than 1% of my stack. I mean significant substantial coin flips. Now I know a lot of a lot of you like to play poker, tournament poker, trying to avoid coin flips at all costs. You know, I don't want to flip. I want to try to gain an advantage. And obviously, flipping coins time after time, you're going to win about half of them. Right? I think that's why we call them coin flips, right? Uh, and putting yourself in a position where there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to suffer um, a big hit to your stack is probably not a good strategy unless you're an underdog at your table, which hopefully if you listen to this podcast every week and do other studying, you won't be an underdog at most of the tables you play. Uh, but you know, my approach is a little bit different. I, I think that I maybe embrace variance a little bit more than I should and maybe a little bit more than the average player especially if there's a little dead money in the pot I'm I'm not afraid of taking a coin flip likewise in cash games I tend to run it once where I realize that running it twice or three times or whatever would reduce my variance uh, I kind of embrace the variance and I always make a point of telling my opponents in the cash games, if they don't know me, that I always run it once. So I find that maybe I get some more folds that way because people just don't want to get into a big pot with someone when he's going to run it once. And many times, particularly in PLO, uh, you, you've got you've to try to get people to fold instead of flipping coins with you. So I think it works to my advantage. If you have the bankroll and if you have the uh, knowledge of the game to enable you to play this way, consider being one of the players at the table that doesn't want to run it twice or run it three times. I believe over time that has made me money. Uh, in addition, my other gambling, including sports betting versus David Tuckman, didn't go well this year either. So <laughs> uh, thankfully, I had a really good year in comedy and I had some writing gigs, and it's been a good year. I'm a little sorry to see 2019 go, but I'm always eager to turn the page and see what the next year has to offer. Looking ahead to 2020, I agree with what Mark said on last week's episode about making goals that you can actually control. So... You might want to say, it's easy for us to say, well, I want to win $100,000 this year playing poker. Or I want to win you know, $20 an hour playing two, three, no limit cash games. Whatever your goal is, okay? There's the part of that goal that you can actually control and the part of it that 
partially depends on variants going your way, or at least not going against you to an abnormal degree. And so I think it's better, as Mark said, to set goals that you can accomplish, like how many tournaments I want to play. I certainly want to get back up to at least 40, if not 50 tournaments this year. My goal, my actual goal that I'm setting for 2020 is 42. I think if I play 42 tournaments, uh, that will be enough to get me where I need to be tournament-wise for the year. I also have cash game goals, obviously comedy goals we're not going to talk about on this episode, but I think it's important to set goals in terms of what you can accomplish. So I know I can play 42 tournaments, and my goal is to bring my A game to all of them. So what do I mean by that? If I'm about to play a tournament and I feel like I didn't get enough sleep the night before, if I'm heading to a casino and I'm already in a bad mood, I'm going to not play. Uh, I was talking to someone recently about how I decided to sit out the main event at the PCA in 2019, which had I known that it would be the last PCA main event ever, I may have... (laughs) wanted to play just to try to be the the final PCA champion. Um, You know, I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before I was supposed to play for whatever reason. I just had trouble sleeping and I woke up feeling a little groggy and grouchy and I just didn't... The idea of sitting at a poker table for 12 hours that day did not excite me at all. I was looking out my window at the beach in the Bahamas and just thinking about all the other things I could do that day. And I just decided not to play. Now, part of this is that I don't have backers. So if people are counting on you to play, you might feel more, I don't know, compelled to necessarily jump in and play on a day when you don't want to. Uh, I get that. I understand that. But If you are like me and you play on your own dime, then ask yourself, do I really want to do this today? Because subconsciously, we don't really understand our subconscious, but there might be part of your brain that's like, well, you know, if you bust out by three o'clock, you can still catch the sunset on the beach at the Atlantis Resort. And part of you might really want to do that. And that might actually influence your play in subtle ways. Obviously, you're not going to buy in for $10,000 and then punt. But if you don't want to be there, maybe you should be somewhere else. Now, you could take this too far and end up becoming a lazy poker player who never puts any work in. But if you're not in danger of doing that, I would suggest that you make sure you've gotten enough sleep and that you're really excited to play. I play my best poker when... I spring out of bed in the morning and feel excited to sit there and play. Some days it's a little more like I have to get motivated and get myself into that frame of mind. And some days I kind of wake up in that frame of mind. But then on the days when I'm unable to get into the right mindset for playing in 2020, I'm just not going to play. Sometimes it helps me if I get up, I work out, uh, you know, maybe make some phone calls, talk to people that I like and that 
maybe love the game as much as I do and kind of get me in the mood to, to sit down and, and start making decisions. If I can do that, I'll go play. But in 2020, I'm telling all of you as an accountability thing to myself, I'm going to only play when I want to play and that will maximize my EV by maximizing the likelihood that I'm actually bringing my A game to be competing at a high level. So that's one goal for 2020. Another goal that I'm setting for myself this year is I want to be more of a rake knit. I want to start making sure that I'm not overpaying for the privilege of playing tournament poker. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've noticed that rake is increasing. And when I say rake, I mean everything from admin fees to dealer tip that's automatically uh, deducted from the prize pool to whatever else is not going to the prize pool. I consider that all rake. You can call it whatever you want. Dealer bonus. I've seen that in Florida and other places. Uh, the standard used to be around 10% for small stakes tournaments and 6% for high stakes tournaments. And now uh, it's hard to find 10% for high stakes tournaments. So it's getting ridiculous. I want to be a little bit more actually a lot more aware of how much rake I'm paying. And I think we should all do this together. Uh, these casinos will stop taking advantage of us only when we stop playing the tournaments that are taking advantage of us. So I'd love to see everyone that's in the TPE nation, as <laughs> Mark Aliotto likes to call it, uh, I'd love to see TPE nation agree that we're going to do the math and figure out how much of this money is actually going to the prize pool. Now, guys, understand, getting raked to death is only a problem when you win, right? If you lose, who cares how much of that $600 you bought in with went to the prize pool? None of it went to your pocket, so it doesn't really hurt you, except for when you win. So if you play in some big tournament that's a $600 tournament, and if they had taken out 10%, you could have won $12,000, but because they took 25%, you only win $8,000. Well, that really does add up over time. And you got to think about the prize money in terms of uh, how often you'll be able to get it and how often you're going to lose. And that's where the, the math comes in as far as calculating how much money you're going to make playing this tournament game. So you've got to be better than the rake. So looking at that going forward and being fully aware of the implications of paying that rake is something that I'm really going to focus on this year and not let these casinos take too much out of the prizes. I don't need to play every tournament. I'm going to be very selective about which tournaments I play and only take opportunities that are profitable. So, a minimum of 42 tournaments on days when I really feel like getting in there and competing for the money and selectively choosing which tournaments I'm going to enter. Those are two. And the third one is something that I'm already pretty much doing already, but Daniel Negreanu inspired me with his recent diatribe about re-entry and how much it bothers him. And I know that I've touched on this a few times already, but I basically have decided that only the softest fields 
are going to get more than one buy-in from me. So if I'm playing the $500 Big 50, whatever they're calling it, at the World Series, where this year will be the 50th anniversary of the World Series of Poker. Last year was the 50th annual World Series of Poker. You can Google those words if you don't understand what the difference is. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if that first buy-in has no rake, then it might be okay for me to pay. Like that last year, the first 500 didn't, they didn't take anything out. We'll see if they do that again this year. I know they're doing the Big 50 again this year because the WSOP did announce that they're going to be doing uh, the Big 50 again. But that Big 50, at least last summer, attracted a very, very soft field of dreamers who wanted to possibly make a World Series of Poker final table and bring home life-changing money all at a cost of only $500. In a tournament like that, yeah, I might be able to talk myself into doing a re-entry or two, but I'm not going to be one of these suckers that keeps getting raked and re-raked and re-raked. So I'm not going to contribute to this system except if I really feel like my edge over the field is big enough to justify paying that rake once more. If it's not an absolute sweet spot, golden ticket, golden opportunity event, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm with Daniel on this. I think enough is enough. And, you know, he and I are older than many of you. And we remember how things used to be. So maybe there's a bit of this isn't fair because we know how good we used to have it. But, yeah, I think if the players will speak, money is power. We, I think we all spoke when we did not play that ridiculous event that the Venetian tried to do. I'm pretty sure we won't see anything like that again. Uh, you guys know the one I'm talking about where the prize pool was set before the buy-ins. So if they had gone over the guarantee, they wouldn't have increased the prize pool past that point. Uh, that was a, a terrible idea. And I hope that the fact that so many people chose not to play that event will speak to the casinos as they keep trying to find new and exciting ways to manipulate us into giving them money for the privilege of playing in a tournament. And that it's almost like if I said, hey, come over to my house, I'm having a poker tournament. And when you got there, I told you there was a $50 cover charge at the door. And you said, what? You didn't tell me that. That's not fair. It used to be $20. And why did you increase it? And I would just say, well, because I'm greedy and because my shareholders want me to make them more money. That's basically what it comes down to. So I'm going to make that a resolution, um, a goal, an intention, whatever kind of word you want to use to describe when this time of year comes around and most of us think about how we want the next year to be better. I want to hear from you guys. What are your intentions? What are your goals? What do you hope to accomplish? What are you going to set out to get done in 2020? I'm here for you, and I want to help you make it happen. So send me a tweet, at Clayton Comic. Let me know that you listen to this, and you want to put your goals down in writing on Twitter, or as I'm doing now, speak it out loud. Give it some life. We're going to make big things happen in 2020, you and me, all of us. All right, so for our strategy segment today, I want to actually do something a little bit different and talk about a hand that was posted 
in the Tournament Poker Edge MTT Poker Strategy Forum by a member named Sunrunner. I don't normally take... Actually, this is the first time I've ever taken a hand that was posted in the forums and used it as a hand for the podcast. But uh, this is something I want to start doing more. One of my podcasting goals in 2020 is to interact more with the TPE community. I'll be posting in the forums more often, and I'll be pulling hands from the forums to talk about on the podcast. So here's one that I found very interesting. Uh, This is from a $22 online MTT. I don't know what website, and I don't know what the exact blinds are because everything has already been converted to X number of big blinds. I also don't know what stage of the tournament we are in, but the hero in the hand has 34 big blinds. And other players at his table have shorter stacks than that. So it makes me think that we're pretty deep into the tournament, but that's just an inference on my part. But for our purposes today, let's assume we're not in the money yet and that the money will be coming within, let's say, maybe between two and three hours from now. So we're getting there, but not right on top of it. So no bubble considerations. Hero, as I mentioned, has 34 big blinds. And because I don't have the ante listed here, I'm going to assume that our assume that our M is going to be around between 17 and 20. So we'll just consider it right around 20. Folded to the hero in the cutoff with Jack of Diamonds, 10 of Clubs. I think all of us open here. Um, you could certainly use this as part of your limping strategy. If you want to have a limping strategy from late position, uh, it would be fine to limp in. But I think the standard play and probably what all of you are screaming at your uh, whatever device you're using to listen to this. Uh, yeah, we raise. Of course, we raise. We have uh, Jack 10 offsuit. And we open to 2.2 big blinds. Now, the button in this hand has 75 big blinds. So he's got more than twice uh, the stack that we have. And he calls. We don't have information about this player on the button. And so because we don't have much information here, I believe that we should try to look at this hand from a generally speaking, versus the field, maybe even like a GTO kind of uh, standpoint. So now, as you guys know from hearing me talk hands on the podcast, my approach is generally first observational, paying attention to my opponents and what kind of mistakes they make, and then developing an exploitative strategy uh, to try to win as much as possible from those mistakes. Uh, If I just sat down at a table or if I just really haven't gotten a comfortable, confident read on anyone yet, then I will default to the GTO model and do something that I would think would be profitable versus any strategy. 
So that's what we'll try to do here in the absence of other information. Having opened with Jack 10 and then the uh, button calls and the blinds fold. So we're going to be heads up, out of position, cut off versus button. Heads up and the flop comes ace of spades, king of clubs, eight of hearts. And hero has jack of diamonds, ten of clubs. Here's a spot when we have to make the classic decision to see bet or not to see bet. I think there's a case to be made for both. Uh, you could absolutely fire here um, and probably get him to fold a lot of his pocket pairs. Like uh, his flat could easily be pocket fives, pocket sevens, uh, hands like that that really can't even stand to call one bet. But the problem, I think, is that a lot of his range is going to hit this board. Many players will call, will flat call on the button with a hand like ace, eight of spades. Uh, well, obviously, there's ace of spades on this flop, but a suited ace, eight of some kind, ace, five even. A lot of us like to put that into our three betting range, but certainly you will find players that will call with it at least as often as they'll three bet with it. And pretty much no one's folding. Um, an ace with a wheel card that's suited in this situation. It's very rare to find a player in today's game that throws that away. So those hands will certainly comprise some part of the field's range here. Some players would even flat with hands like king-queen. Um, I'm trying to think of hands that we don't block, but obviously hands that we do sort of block, like your queen-jack, your queen-ten, um, they would have called as well. And they can probably call one bet here on the flop to see what we do on the turn. So if we do opt for the continuation bet here, we need to be doing so with the intention of firing again on a lot of turns. Not every turn, mind you, but many times we will want to bet again on the turn. So therefore, I would lean more towards protecting my stack here and just checking with the intention of folding uh, in the event that the button decides to put a bet out there. Uh, that might seem weak to some of you, but we need to find spots in tournament poker where we just put stack preservation above all other considerations. And I think that on a flop like this, in this particular tournament situation, against this guy who might just be willing to float us and try to outplay us on the turn, uh, this isn't a very profitable spot to fire off that C-bet. Therefore, I would essentially check, hoping that he checks behind and we can bink a queen for the nuts on the turn. Uh, <laughs> so, Hero does opt for the C-bet. A pretty healthy four big blinds into the pot of seven big blinds. And the button calls. Okay, so this is exactly what I was hoping to avoid. Now, certainly if the only caller in this situation had been one of the blinds, I think there's a better case to go for the C-bet in position given the information that your opponent has checked and then whether he calls or raises on the flop, you can sort of pick up more information being in position. Uh, right now, this kind of feels a little bit like a stab in the dark and because players tend to uh, give up a little bit less easily than they used to in the past, 
absent any read, I wouldn't pick this spot to see bet on the flop. But Hero does, and we go to a turn, and it's the nine of clubs. So our board is now ace of spades, king of clubs, eight of hearts, nine of clubs, Hero holding jack 10 with the 10 of clubs. There are, okay, so there's 15 big blinds in the pot, and Hero has 28 big blinds, so almost twice the pot remaining in his stack. So having C-bet the flop, I think this is one of our best cards that doesn't uh, really give us anything because we just we pick up an open ender rather than a gut shot here. So now we have a few more outs, actually twice as many outs as we did before, assuming we're behind an ace or a king, that is. One thing I like to do with these particular stack sizes is go for the check shove. I think it puts maximum pressure on our opponent when he has something like ace five that I mentioned before. Uh, any type of one pair hand might choose to bet because our check on the turn will look like a give up. And because we will have so many check give ups in this exact situation, we want to have some check calls and I like to have a few check raises. I know that many of you will play an entire three or four day poker tournament without ever check raising a turn. And that's fine. It's not absolutely required, but I just like to have some of these check raise bluffs or in this case, check raise semi bluffs on uh, on the turn because people won't really put you on a flush draw that you know that you just backdoor to flush draw, and it will just look very very strong. And you will usually get opponents to fold hands as strong as two pair with this play. So putting some numbers on it with fifteen big blinds in the pot and hero having twenty eight behind, uh, if the villain, if I check and the villain puts in seven big blinds, that would put 22 in the pot. And then I shove for all 28 of mine, putting 50 in the pot and 21 to him to call. Most players will not be able to call off there with an ace and a weak kicker. Uh, unless, of course, they have picked up a flush draw to go with their top pair. And even then, I think it's pretty difficult now, this player on the button has a pretty big stack, but still, losing this pot could hurt him a lot, uh, especially if he doubles us up. And then, of course, we have the open-ender to fall back on. So I would like to check-raise this turn. Uh, in a live setting, I would check, planning to either fold or raise, depending on how strongly my opponent bets the turn. So if I get a feel for what he's trying to do and also with his sizing and his body language and everything else, I use all of that into my into my reads. So I would probably go for the check raise here if I thought my opponent couldn't call it, obviously, live. And just go ahead and... Well, I guess you could call if he bets small enough um, to price us into trying to hit our open-ender because, as always... If we do happen to make a straight with Jack-10, it will be the best possible straight. So checking and calling sometimes, checking and folding other times if he bets too much, and then checking and raising if he bets small enough that I can put max pressure on him. 
because it's an online event, we don't really have the option of trying to get a read. And so absent any read, I think checking, hoping that he bets about seven or maybe eight big blinds here and then raising it uh, all in, I'm sure is a plus EV, but also high variance play. And one that I like to uh, throw in from time to time, especially because in all likelihood, I have eight clean outs here. In the hand, as posted, Hero bets 10 big blinds into the 15 big blind pot and gets called again. Now, that's a pretty big bet. Two-thirds of the pot here on the turn is no joke, especially because Hero appears to be committed, leaving himself with only 18 big blinds into what is now a 35 big blind pot. Uh, button calls. I'm really not crazy about this sizing either way. Uh, even when we have the nuts, I think we can go a little bit smaller here on the turn just to get the more sure call. I think a bet of maybe seven bigs or eight bigs is just as good. And uh, that's that's the sizing I would choose if I decided to bet the turn uh, rather than check raise it, check shove it here. Uh, so I feel like we don't have a lot of wiggle room left on the river having only 18 bigs and 35 bigs in the pot. Anyway, button calls. And now the river is the five of clubs for a final board of ace of spades, king of clubs, eight of hearts, nine of clubs, five of clubs. So ace, king, eight, nine, five with three clubs. Hero having the jack of diamonds, ten of clubs. I like having the ten of clubs if I want to bluff again because it's a, it just, it, that's one fewer flush card our opponent could have to have hit that backdoor flush. But I really don't think that we're overly concerned about that anyway. What are the chances that he just got all the clubs he needed to make a flush? And that's what he's been calling with the whole time. It's doubtful. It's unlikely. It will happen from time to time. But you can't worry about everything in tournaments. And I wouldn't worry about that here. It's a minor consideration. The question here on this five of clubs river is to shove or not to shove. Well, I think if I had put this many chips in already, then I would probably see this as a good scare card to throw in a big bet and hope that uh, we can get him to lay down a hand like ace four of diamonds, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're targeting. We're trying to get him to finally fold his top pair uh, because at that point he can basically only beat a bluff. I think it's a bit ambitious, but because we've gotten to this point, I don't see what else we can do. What do you guys think? Is that the right play here on the river? Do you agree with me about the sizing on the turn being too large? Would you always see bet this flop with Jack High? And have I convinced you that maybe checking is better? Uh, if you're interested in the outcome of this hand, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> Mr. Sunrunner did not post whether he won or lost the hand. Personally, it doesn't really matter. It's more of a theoretical uh, strategy discussion at this point. We can have some fun and plug this into Card Runners EV or uh, PO Solver and try to figure out what the best play on each street is. But those were kind of my gut reactions to reading this hand on the forum. Food for thought here from a $22 online MTT. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, if you guys are not members yet of Tournament Poker Edge, uh, it's so silly that you haven't joined. It's as cheap as $25 a month. 
with your annual membership. You get access to all of our forums and many times in the forums, the top pros, including Andrew Brokus, Colin Moshman, Alexander Fitzgerald, and on and on and on will actually engage with the users. Uh, There's a a great community. It's not like the bitter, angry uh, community on 2 Plus 2 where everyone's just telling each other they're donkeys and idiots. We have a family here and we do all care about helping each other improve. So whether at the beginning, middle, or late stages of developing into the best player you can be, TPE can help you do that. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Come see me tonight at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. And thank you all so much for listening. Fun, fun.